who was in the church, serving the church, teaching about Jesus in the synagogue. He, he was going and doing the work of the kingdom and he meets with opposition. Scripture tells us there in chapter six that he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit, that he was full of grace and power. And he's preaching about Jesus and they didn't like it. The religious leaders of the time of the day didn't like it. And so they arrested him and put him on trial in front of the Sanhedrin with all these false accusations. And they had two main points against him. Remember, we talked about one last week was that Jesus is dangerous was the main idea. Jesus is dangerous. He's going to break, distort or twist the law of Moses, which we've been given. And he's going to destroy the temple. He wants to tear down the temple. Those were the two accusations that were set up in front of Stephen was that Jesus is dangerous. He wants to break the law that we've received from Moses and he wants to destroy the temple. And so Stephen gives answer to these charges in a speech or in a sermon. And again, last week he, he covered the first when they said, Jesus wants to destroy the law. And he said, you have always rejected the deliverance that has come from God Almighty. You've always rejected the deliverance, whether it was in Abraham, you would have rejected Abraham. The patriarchs did reject Joseph and he ended up being a deliverer. And, and he said, y'all want to talk about Moses? We've rejected Moses more than anybody. We rejected Moses more than everybody else. And, and so that was last week was the answer to part one of the accusation. And we saw the different we saw their story in there and we also saw our own story in it, didn't we? So if you miss that or you want to go back over, we, we post all of our uh, Sunday sermons on our, our Facebook Connect group page. We post them on Apple Podcasts. You just search for Believer's Church on there or you can go to the website and there's a link on there to Stitcher, which is just another place you can listen to it. And thank you for uh, to Andrew for always making sure that that gets out there. I don't know how it gets out there, but it does. And he, he's very faithful to do that. And I appreciate it so much. But that was their first accusation, and he answered that. So the second one we're going to talk about today, again, it's that Jesus is dangerous. That's the common theme between both of them. Jesus is dangerous, and Jesus will bring about the destruction of the temple. Now, the temple, to them, we, we have a hard time uh, wrapping our mind around how important it was to them, where, where it fit into their life. It, it was a gathering place, but it was also a, a sacred staple of their life. It was synonymous with the nation of Israel, that it was its own nation gifted by God uh, as a people. It was synonymous with that. This temple represents our people in the fact that we are called out by God to be his people and him be our God. It was a symbol of their identity. And that's not a bad. None of those are bad things. These were big ways that the temple stood out in their life. And that was what the temple was to them. And, and when we talk about what the temple is to God, it was a place where his spirit would dwell among his people, where his presence would reside among the people. Now, we may get into it when we get to this part on our Wednesday night Bible study. It was different at this point in history than when the temple was first constructed back in the Old Testament, as far as the presence of the Lord filling the place. We'll, we'll talk about that. But what, what this leads us to our question for today or around this subject, the temple, the dwelling place of God is where is God? Where is God and how does he dwell with me? 
How does he dwell with me? That's a question that needs an answer, and we're going to get there today. Does, does God dwell with me in a building? Does, does he dwell with me because I'm in the four walls of a special sacred building? It, does he dwell with me in my good works? How is he present with me? How do I know and experience him? Right? How do I know him? How do I experience him? For them, the answer was the temple. The answer was the temple. And they thought and even said that Jesus is a threat to this temple. Jesus is a threat to how I know and experience God. I, our experience, our avenue to God dwelling with us, the way we, we experience and know his favor and prosperity on our life is this temple. And Jesus is a threat to this temple. And Stephen answered this accusation, and we read that. He started off talking about the tabernacle. It was what God dictated to Moses, that construct this. I want to show you an earthly model of what my heavenly court is like, and I'm going to dwell with you there. I'll meet with you there, because God's whole design is dwelling with his people. You see, he dwells with his people in the beginning. Sin fractures that relationship. And the story of Scripture is the reestablishing of God dwelling with his people until you get to the book of Revelation where it says the dwelling place of God is where? With man. The dwelling place of God is with man. So that, that, that's, that, that's the story of Scripture. And Stephen says it started with the tabernacle. We had that in the wilderness with Moses. It was dictated by God. They, they constructed it. The presence of God dwelled with us there. Joshua carried it into the promised land. And then we jump forward in time to David who had found favor in the sight of the Lord. And David said, Lord, I feel bad about this because I'm living in a palace. I'm the king of Israel. And, and your presence still dwells in a tent. I want to build a house for you. And, and we could go back through to, to the Davidic covenant where he made that promise to David. He said, you can't build the temple, but you're your son will build the temple. And, and then Solomon did what? He built a temple for God. He built a temple for God. And, and we see that in verse 47. It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house. But then verse 48, but the most high does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. The Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? Again, where's our question? How does God dwell with us? Where is God? Where is he? Where is he? And Solomon himself, when he dedicated the temple, if you wanted to go back and read it, it was recorded in 1 Kings chapter 8. In verse 27 and also in Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18. But Solomon said, will God live on earth with humans? Will God live on earth with humans? Even heaven, the highest heaven can't contain you, much less this temple that I've built. So what was Solomon said? Solomon who built the temple, what was his statement? This is not enough for you. This is not enough for you. And I love the question, will God dwell? Will God live on earth? With humans, Willie, because that's our that, that's our heart's question. Will God dwell with us? When will the spirit of God dwell with us? That's our heart towards him. Our desire to dwell with him. Thankfully, his heart, his desire is moving towards us. 
Our question is, will you dwell with us? His answer is what? I will dwell with you. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week when we start talking about that incarnation. But that's our question. Where is God? Will he dwell with us? And is this temple the answer? And their accusation was Jesus is dangerous and Jesus and the people that follow him want to destroy this temple. And Stephen gives us the answer. Where does God dwell? Not in sanctuaries made with human hands. In verse 48. And he leaves us on a little cliffhanger there. He tells us where God doesn't dwell. And he doesn't answer where God does dwell. We're going to get there. But he leaves us on a little cliffhanger there and we'll circle back. But then he summarizes what he has said, starting in verse 51. I'm going to read that. He says, you stiff necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. You do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. This was huge. This was huge for him to talk about. Talk to them like this, to tell them the truth like he did. He's basically, y'all are fussing about these two things that you say I'm, I'm advocating for, that you say I'm advocating for the destruction of the law and the destruction of the temple. Y'all are fussing about these things, but let's acknowledge the real problem. You are stiff necked, which is a way that God would refer to the people of Israel all the way back in the Old Testament. It means stubborn, mean, so it won't, won't listen, Right. Stiff neck. You, you can't turn my head. I'm stiff necked. And he said, you, you have uncircumcised hearts and ears. Now, we're not going to get a circumcision today, but it's usually not dealing with the hearts and the ears, is it? It's not. But what's it a reference to? He's saying you bear the physical mark of covenant on your body, but you don't listen to God and you don't love him because if you loved him, you would listen to him. OK, he says you, you bear the physical mark. But, but, but you aren't truly marked by God because you don't listen to him and you do not love him. And the proof of that is you'll fist fight over something, the church building, the temple building or the operation of it. But you won't listen to God. You won't seek him and you don't love him or his people. And we've seen that, right? Fist fights break out at church over what color the carpet is. That's an example of uncircumcised hearts and ears that we're not listening to him. And we don't love him and we don't love his people. What do we love? We love this experience. We love this place. But we love it more than we love him. And that's what Stephen is pointing out to them. And this was a huge statement. He's telling them, you're, you're actually a bunch of hypocrites. You're far from God. He, and when he uses that word uncircumcised, remember when David said that about Goliath? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's a slight. Again, he's like, you think you're in covenant, but you're not. You think you're safe. You think you're a part of the family of God, but you're not. You're not. It's a huge statement there to let them know they have evil and rebellious hearts. And he, what's he doing? He's preaching the gospel. The gospel comes to us first with the truth that we're sinners, that we're rebels against the throne of God. And he comes at them with the same truth. And one thing we learned about the gospel is what? It demands a response. It demands a response. It's either going to be resisted or you're going to repent. 
one or the other. Which, which way did they go? Resistance. Resistance. He says, you receive the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. He's like, you talk about the law, you talk about the temple, but you don't love him and you don't listen to him. You don't even follow the law that you say that you love and that you're protecting. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. After saying this, he died. Here's me say he, he fell asleep. He died. It, it was one way that they would describe death. He said, so they were enraged. They saw red. Stephen saw Jesus. He says, I, he, looked into, he looked up to heaven and he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, the place of authority, right? He saw Jesus. He says that he saw Jesus. And remember, what did Jesus call himself? We read it all the time in the book of Luke, the Son of Man. The Son of Man did not come to do this, but he called himself the Son of Man. Reference to the book of Daniel. When it said, one like the Son of Man came on the clouds Amen. to the right hand of the Ancient of Days, of God Almighty, to rule and to reign. Yes. And so this was a big theological statement to what he's seeing, what he's saying. The Son of Man, power and authority at the right hand of God. Now for them, again, the gospel's going forth. He's telling them, Jesus is Lord. You're rejecting him, but he's Lord. Repent or resist. They resist. They had had all they could stand. They grow murderous in their rage. They drag him out of the city because they said, well, we can't kill you inside. We, we have to take you outside the city. And they began to throw rocks at him, stones at him until he is dead. And what, is he, what does he say? He says, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and forgive their sins. Now, it's a likeness to what we saw from Jesus at the crucifixion, right? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Interesting, though, Jesus committed himself to the Father. Who did Stephen say he was given his spirit to? Jesus. I can give my spirit to Jesus because Jesus gave his spirit to the Father on my behalf. Okay, I don't want to just show up in the presence of the Father just going, hey, it's, it's just me. No, I'm united with Christ. I'm in union with Him. So when I arrive there, I'm in Him when I get there because of what He's done. And I just thought that was an interesting thing that Jesus committed Himself to the Father so that Stephen could commit Himself to Jesus. And then... He says, forgive them. Don't hold this sin against them, which is the, the, the most offensive part 
of the gospel when it's going forward is we want it to have that judgment attached to it. You know, we kind of want to think Stephen should say, Lord, you know, here's my spirit. Just kill all of them for this that they've done to me. Right? They drug him out and are stoning him to death. And in the moment, he says, don't hold this sin against them. He, they were so saturated with the gospel that he's like, don't hold this against them. Maybe they'll listen. Maybe this will rattle something in their hearts. I won't be here, but you'll still be here. And maybe they'll hear it and answer that repentance will come. And we saw that when Peter would preach too. He's like, y'all have done all these terrible things. Turn to Jesus. Come on in and be a part of this family. And that's hard for us to wrap our mind around forgiveness in the moment. He died forgiving them while they're still killing him. How is that possible? Because we have difficulty with that, right? I had a big deal. Was it yesterday? Yesterday was a long day. It was yesterday. Kelly and I were out early yesterday morning and we were on I-30 between Little Rock and Bryant. You know, usually a busy road. Wasn't that busy because, again, real early. I'm in the middle lane because I like to get in the middle lane and just go. Right. I don't need to mess around a whole bunch behind a big truck because they also do the same thing. We get in the middle lane. We just go. This guy's, you know, speeding up, slowing down. He's not. I'm like, I'm going to go around him. So I get in the left lane to go around him. I'm going above the speed limit. I'm going around him. I didn't pull out in front of anybody when I did that. All of a sudden, when I'm about halfway past this 18 wheeler, a car comes flying up behind me. Flashes their lights at me and then they stop back up, back up, you know, they draw back, go around the truck in the other lane. Speed, I mean, flying at this point. Then I'm, I'm up to the front of the truck. They've come now over in front of me and they slam on their brakes. Brake check me in the left lane. I have to slam on my, you know, when your car feels like it does this, like the nose is going down into the ground. Kelly's screaming. Kelly didn't like the interstate anyway. And then this is happening. And now, obviously, we know what was happening. This was just sheer anger and meanness. And the first thing that came to my mind was not, I forgive you. <laughs> it wasn't. I wish it was. It did a little bit later. Not much later. A little bit later. What came to my mind? I'm not, have, you ever seen the, have you ever seen Lonesome Dove? It was a book, but it's also a series. And there were these two aging Texas Rangers, Augustus McCray and Woodrow Call. And there's one scene in a town where Call has this great line after he just whips the tar out of this guy for being disrespectful and violent to a younger man who was in their little party. He says, I can't, he said, I can't stand rudeness in a man. I won't tolerate it. And this is after he just beat him. That's what I was picturing. <laughs> Texas Ranger justice right here. I'm picturing that. And, and hey, I tell you what, he, you know, he goes on. I'm like, okay, well, I'm back behind you now. You know, you're going to at least remember that I'm here. We're going to acknowledge what happened. He's starting to get off at the exit. And Marty, it was all I could do. It's like, I think I might want to get off at this exit too. Right? You do. It's not just, again, this is like something has to be done about this. Right. That's the that's the hunger we have in our hearts for justice when it comes to other people. Now, obviously, I want a lot of grace for me, but I was ready for justice for him. Of course, then he rolled down his window and told us that we were number one. <laughs> and so we're, this occupied a lot of our conversation after that. 
Kelly and I. And finally, we were, you know, you get that adrenaline rush. and You're like, I got to calm, calm down. And she just said, well, I just pray that that's going to bother him the rest of the day that he did that. That, you know, that, that's just going to sit with him the rest of the day that he did. That. And, and, and so you move to that point of forgiveness. And that's great. But, it, it, but that contrast, when I came back home and I was reading again about Stephen, I was like, but this was in the moment. This was while it was happening. This is when you've got people who are so enraged that they've dragged you out of the city and said, we're going to kill you now. We've had enough of you. We don't value you at all. We're going to take your life from you. And while this is happening, he is forgiving them and saying, Jesus, receive my spirit. How is he able to do that? What did it say about him in chapter six? It said he was full of what? The Holy Spirit and power. He was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He was full of grace. All of those things. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't looking at them. Remember? Who was he looking at? Jesus. He had seen Jesus. He was looking at Jesus. Verse 55. Stephen, again, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. And he saw the glory of God and and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Before the stoning started, he saw Jesus and he saw him in his glory. That Jesus is there, that this is all true. That it's all real. And his, the glory of God in that moment, his faith becoming sight, Jesus is there and he's, he's there for me. He wasn't seated at the right hand. He's standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen says, Lord Jesus, I'm coming. Speak for me when I get there. Now, what is there? What is their sin against me in that moment when I have full sight of Jesus in his glory. It's nothing. It's nothing. And that's the way it was for him. He's Jesus full, full. His eyes are full of Jesus. Their sin was nothing in comparison to that. So that's how he's able to say, I, I, I've seen Jesus. I can forgive y'all for what you're doing. And then he died or he fell asleep. And this, his, his death, him being the first Christian martyr, would be the catalyst for the church to proliferate through the entire region. Because what they're like, they're killing people. We got to get out of, you know, <laughs> we're going to spread out a little bit. It's getting a little bit, it's getting a little heated there. So they started to move out. And what went with them? The message of Jesus. And the kingdom spread throughout the region and eventually around the world. It's a big moment in the history of the church and a great example of how we should handle persecution if we ever have to. Now, thankfully, we, we live in a place where we don't really think about that very often. What if I have to die for my faith? What if my faith leads me to the point that I have to choose Christ over my life? You know, will I be like the ones that it spoke about in Revelation? Up there, what does it say after that? They loved not their life unto death. They love not. We, we don't like that. That part don't go on the coffee cup, does it? <laughs> but it's on there. It's a continuation, baby. It's there. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they love not their life unto death. 
And that was Stephen's testimony right here. So I want to loop back as we close this out. Again, their accusations, because I hope you see this the way that I saw it, because it's, it's beautiful and powerful. Their accusations were Jesus is dangerous. Why? Because he rejects the law and he wants to destroy the temple. Those were the two. And the cliffhanger that Stephen left us with was God doesn't dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. Where does he dwell? Where then does he dwell? Will he dwell with us? Solomon's question, going back to the Old Testament. Will God dwell with humans on the earth? Because this temple isn't enough to hold him. The highest heavens aren't enough to hold him. Where will he dwell? Will he dwell again with us like when? Like the beginning. Like we were designed to live in dwelling with him. Will he dwell with us? And that's the story of the church. That, that he, he dwells not in this, but in this. In this. This is where he dwells. Remember, what did it say about Stephen? Stephen, verse 55, full of the Holy Spirit. What's on the inside of him? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of him. And because of that, he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. Remember Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit fell and Peter gets up to preach, he said, this is like that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days God would pour out His Spirit on what? All flesh. All flesh. He preached and said, this is Jesus whom you crucified and God raised and we witnessed all of that. He's made this possible. He has accomplished this that you now see and that you now hear. And when I was thinking on this, I remembered what when Jesus was talking to the lady we call the woman at the well, right in John four. And she had kind of gotten backed up <laughs> by him and the things that he was saying. And she tried to turn to, to theological debate real quick and going, well, you know, we Samaritans think that we can worship God on this mountain. And y'all say we have to worship him on the temple mount in Jerusalem or in the temple. What did you say? And what did he tell her? He said, the time is coming and now is. When the true worshipers, and we when, listen, when we think worship, we think when we come in and we sing the songs. But, but it means our, our service to the Lord, our, our, our experience of Him, that back and forth, that communion, that dwelling. He said, when the true worshipers will worship Him in spirit and in truth, because God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Something else that he said in John chapter 2. He said, If y'all just, you can destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And they thought he was talking about what? The building. But it says in there in John 2, he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about the temple of his what? His body. He was talking about the temple of his body. And again, that's John 2. If you want to look at it, destroy the temple and I'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Where does God dwell? Where is he? Is he with me? Will he dwell with me? 
Not in a building made by human hands. That's what it says. Not in sanctuaries built by human hands. You walk in here, you're not going to find him just sitting in a chair somewhere. You just, that's not it. Will he dwell with his people? And the answer is yes. First in Jesus and then through Jesus and all who would repent and turn to him as Lord. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in where? You. Dwells in you and all who would repent and turn to him as their Lord and their Messiah. Watch this. Their accusations. You've learned them by now. Jesus is dangerous. He wants to break the law and he wants to destroy the temple. And Stephen, full of the spirit, full of power, told them the truth. And look what happened. In their rage, they broke the law and they destroyed the temple. They were saying, Stephen, who's preaching Jesus, is going to destroy the temple and it's going to break the law. And their sin caused them to break the law. Well, they killed him. They murdered him. And they destroyed a temple of the Most High God. Because Stephen was full of what? The Holy Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. I thought that was wild to see that, that they said Jesus was the one that was dangerous. Jesus is the one that's going to break the law. Jesus is the one that's going to destroy the temple. And they took those up, both up in their own hands in the same argument and did it themselves. And Stephen was like Jesus in that way. The Spirit dwelt in him. The Spirit also dwelt in Stephen because of what Jesus did. Because of Jesus, the Spirit dwelled within him, in Stephen, and he dwells in all believers, like little temples, not made with human hands, temples with human hands. That's the origin of the church, is the gathering of these little temples, the dwelling place, these new habitations for the Spirit of Almighty God. And that is why the church is unstoppable. That is why the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That's why it's never been able to be extinguished, though so many have tried. Back in the day, in the Old Testament, when you conquered a place, you took over two specific points. You took over the, the, the king's palace. That's where the authority and the rulership came from. And then you also took out the places of worship. And installed your own. You, you go back. When, when the Israelites were defeated in battle, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. Why? It was a symbol of we defeated you and your God. We own you now. Every time they were defeated, what was destroyed? The temple. The temple was destroyed. It was the place that they identified with. It was a place that they went and worshiped God. It was a part of their society. And so you could literally destroy it, bring it to the ground and remove it from them. But you can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. Because he dwells within us. It won't, that strategy will never work again because he doesn't dwell in sanctuaries made with human hands. He dwells in his people. Stephen was one of those, one of many. We get to be a part of that today. They can take your life, but they can't take that spirit. They can't extinguish it. They can't stop it. The word is indomitable. 
unable to be overcome. And you see what happens next. And we'll see it as we go through this. We hit on Saul just a little bit. That's about to get really interesting when we come back from Advent. But what happens next is all these habitations of the Spirit, Almighty God, these little temples, they went out, not worshiping on, on, on a specific mountain, not having to come to one particular place, but they went out into the whole world Amen. and took that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same message that had transformed them, that same Spirit that they had been filled with and said, God will dwell with His people. Not in sanctuaries built by human hands, but in his people, the way he had designed it. And they carried that presence with them. And the followers of Jesus still carry it today. Indomitable. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, if we were ever faced with martyrship. Or, or recanting your name, Lord, that we'd be full of the spirit just like Stephen was and that we wouldn't love our life unto death. But we will see you in your glory and know that you're worth more. The goodness that we find in you outweighs by a, a thousand the worst that people could throw at us, the worst that we could experience in this life. Your, your glory is an exceeding weight of glory when it comes to that. I thank you for the truth. I thank you that we, we, we don't serve a God who lives in a box. Under the restrictions of you have to live in this temple and you have to do what we say. Our God is not a tame God, but he is good. And I thank you, Lord, that we will have a better understanding that your spirit dwells within us as a part of your body, as a part of the church. You dwell with us. And that we'll know that more deeply as we walk through this life with you. And we'll know it completely when we reach the end of our life. Whenever that day may be, we'll know it in full. I thank you that you answer our question where, about where you are. You're here with us. You're dwelling with us, within us, and you're leading us into all truth. And I thank you that when the gospel is presented to us, both the first time and every time, that we won't resist. We won't resist the truth of it, but we'll repent of our sin and turn to you. And know that freedom and know that hope of once again dwelling with the Most High God. Will you, Solomon's question, will you dwell on earth with humans? And your response was, yes. And you won't believe how it's going to happen. And thank you. Thank you that you were working for our good. Even back here, before we were ever thought about. Before anybody ever knew your spirit was going to come to us. That you did. And you were moving toward us. So that we could come to you. We love you. And we thank you for this week. That you've given us. To be mindful of all that we have to be thankful for. I thank you that we won't get too busy. We won't get too tired. We won't get, I won't get too hungry to forget to be thankful. And Lord, that we'll see your glory in this week. We may not see it exactly like Stephen did, but you've given us a whole lot to be able to witness. And I thank you that it'll outweigh everything else that could turn our gaze a different way. And because you forgave us, we can forgive others. Because you've given us grace, great grace, we can walk in grace towards those who are outside. 
And we pray this week that you, you protect us, keep us safe. Order our steps, put us in the right place at the right time with the right people. And I thank you for all that you are and all that you're doing here. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.